Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy Podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, David Schaefer. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Brown, the Bald Guy, and today we're with David Schaefer. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing great out here in New Hampshire. A little chilly, though. Yeah, we got down in the low 40s last night in San Diego. We are crying like uh, a bunch of whiny nine-year-olds. Yeah, I feel your pain, man. I feel your pain. Well, let's dive into the warmer topic of using EIULs as planning for our kids. You know, when we plan for our kids, people don't really think of, of the EIUL policy, which is designed for tax-free income and retirement for their kids. They're thinking of themselves, which they should. But as the baby comes uh, into their family, they have the chance to do some planning maybe for college that can then morph into retirement planning, which is something that I just think is the best of both worlds I've, I've seen in a long time. So let me just dive into the first question. And everybody understand, Dave is held to the new regulation that went into effect, I think, in the middle of last year as far as yield. Right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And that's give or take about 7.1%, right? Yeah, right now uh, for Minnesota Life is 7.13%. So, And considering that uh, the S&P has hovered around 8 for the last half century and yeah. that the index that you use, you, you did uh, late last year or the middle of last year, a 25-year look back on the index you've been using now with Minnesota Life. And what was it, just a little over 9% the last 25 years? 9.24%. Ah, that's amazing. So what we're going to do today, people, is Dave is going to answer four questions about EIULs as it relates to children, and he's going to give the regulated yield, and he's going to give what's actually happened in the last 25 to 50 years yield, and you can choose whichever one you want to look at, okay? So, Dave, here's the first question. We're going to take a year-old infant just born. The parents are going to pay $5,000 up front for an EIUL for the baby. Their premium is going to begin at $300 a month, indexed to inflation. So every year, whatever inflation is, the, the next year's premium will go up by that amount. They'll do it for 17 years or until the the baby's now graduated from high school, ready for college. The kid then goes to college for four years, getting payments for those four years from the EIUL to pay for college costs. At the end of that time, they stop taking the income. They then allow the policy to grow by itself without any further premiums planned. If they opt for taking the income out at age 60, how much would that child be getting at that point? Yeah, sure, Jeff. Let me go over the numbers with you. If they did, as you said, using the 7.1%, um, they would be able to get $72,000 a year for four years out. Then they do nothing. They just let it sit there all the way to when that child is 60 years old. Then they would be able to pull out 77000 per year to the age of 89. So that's just the paying premium for those 17 years. So once again, 72000 each year for the college years, and then 77000 each year from age 60 to age 89. Now, if you run those numbers with a reasonable assumption, say 8.2%, you're looking at 86500 for college each year, and then 115000 
each year for a retirement, 60 to 89. So quite a big difference, but either way, that's assuming that you wouldn't put in any more after the child turns 18, and uh, probably not a great assumption because, frankly, you know, even if you just started added it at $300 a month, once your child gets out of college, it's probably something that, that he could take over. So and once again, I ran it on a male child in this particular case. So pretty good numbers for college, seventy-two thousand dollars per year on the conservatives, and seventy—I mean, I'm sorry, eighty-six thousand on the less conservatives. So pretty good numbers for uh, for a year of college, just doing that little amount. So right, and and the main thing is, uh, and you mentioned this, it's far more likely, seeing that they saw the empirical evidence of how well it performed while they went to college, once the the son or the daughter uh, gets fully employed and starts making a career in life for themselves. Even if they waited till say they were thirty, they might start paying whatever a month they could afford onto it, which the EIUL is flexible enough to allow easily. And my guess is it's very possible to do much better than that. So, Dave, question number two: In anticipation of college expenses, the parents put a hundred grand in over four years in a day, which is the protocol for putting in large figures into an EIUL policy and they do this for their baby girl, what would be the numbers at 18 years old if they begin when their baby was six months old? The numbers would be uh, $61,000 per year for four years of college. So that's that's pretty decent. And if you use the 8.2%, which is a little more reasonable assumption, it would be up to $73,000 per year. Got it. Got it. But yeah. there, is, there is one little issue with that. <laughs> right. I wanted to go over that. Uh, a little bit. Um, because of the way you're funding this with uh, what we call max funding or putting in $100,000 as quick as possible, that forces the amount of insurance that the child needs up to extreme measures. And there's a little rule that says that a child can only have 50% 50, 50 of what one adult has. So that means that one of the parents would have to have around $6.5 million worth of life insurance, which is not a tremendous lot. It's just more than most people carry. And just to give you an idea, you probably need to have somewhere around $300,000 worth of income to have that $6.5 million insurance policy or multiple insurance policies adding up to $6.5 million. So in this particular scenario, we're really talking about people that are in kind of the upper income brackets to be able to pull that off. And that's why a lot of my clients end up, instead of doing that, paying out over uh, 17 years like the previous scenario. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Now, just as an aside, if the college, now college-graduated son or daughter decides maybe at age 30, hey, you know what, I know it's going to be a tremendous retirement if I don't put any money in, but I'm I'm now married, I'm starting a family, and my career is taken off to the point where I can afford a few hundred dollars a month. The EIUL policy is flexible enough. They can start doing that anytime they want, correct? Absolutely. So in these, where, uh, as in the first question, where they were going to end up with somewhere between um, seven and, and $10,000 a month at age 60, if they had started for at 30 for 30 years, putting in, say, 500 a month or 300 a month, whatever they did, it would have gone up appreciably and almost astoundingly, wouldn't it? Yes, yes, it would. It would, it would go up significantly. 
mean, those numbers, I actually did that for a client for mine, and, and by the time we got to running the numbers and looking <laughs> looking at them at age 60 or 65, it was it was so off the charts. It was uh, almost unbelievable to me, and I've been doing these a long time. It was something like a million dollars per year that they were able to pull out, you know, all the way through retirement. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but that's a lot of time, you know, from one year to age 60, so. Well, exactly, and that's where that's where, and again, just parenthetically, that's where the child can not only have that EIUL, they can start a second policy, correct? That's true. And that second policy, they could do that for 20 years, starting at age 25 or 30, and have that hit at 55 or 60, or before, depending on how they did it, and not have to wait till they're 60, 65. That's absolutely true. Let's move on to the third question, okay? How would any policy work if the child ends up going to college for multiple advanced degrees? Can do? Yeah, I absolutely can do. It would take a little planning. Um, for example, if you if you have a feeling that that's going to happen, then what you might want to do is take out less per year. For example, comparing it to the question number one where they are able to take out $72,000 per year for four, those four years, if you're going to take it out for six years, you'd have to drop it down to fifty-one thousand dollars per year, and for eight years, down to forty-one thousand dollars per year. So it takes a little bit of thought uh, as you take your money out if you want it to last longer, and it really comes down to basic math. You have so much money in there, you can take out so much, and the quicker you take it out, the less, the least amount of time you can take it out. So if you kind of have that feeling that you might end up needing to do that or wanting to do that, you take out a little bit less up front. You know, imagine the average family who aren't sending their kids to prestigious university and what their kids could get a Ph.D., for heaven's sakes, and it's it, and they have $41,000 a year to help and a lot of times completely pay for it. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, and I think that the key point really is that uh, how flexible it is with being able to take money out. I mean – you don't know when your kid's entering college, you don't know, A, what the package is going to look like, how much they're actually going to have to pay, because colleges take a look at your own personal finances and make that decision. And, of course, different colleges have different packages and have different overall tuitions. And so you don't know any of that going in. And uh, then you don't know exactly how long or how many degrees your child's going to get, but it does have enough flexibility in there to be able to handle all those things with a little bit of forethought. So, so yes, it's a very flexible instrument for that. Man, I love that answer. Uh, the last question today is, can policy benefits be passed to younger children in the family as the older kids graduate college? And if not, is there a creative way to handle that without getting all separate policy? The quick answer is yes, and the creative way is very simple. You don't give ownership of your policies over to your kids. And so you're under control of it as long as, as you, you are the listed owner. And with kids, you're always a listed owner until you turn it over to them. And so you can adjust the amount of money you're taking out for more than one kid if you want to do that um, because you own it and you control it. And so it's really very simple. It doesn't take any type of paperwork or anything. It just comes down, once again, I keep saying this, but it comes down to basic math. How much do you have in there? How long do you want it to last? Things like that. Well, and the key that gets lost in all the discussions sometimes, Dave, is that the best part about the money coming in is it's tax-free by IRS definition. Right, exactly. 
And the other key thing is right now in the matrix that they look at for uh, financial aid and the packages that they offer, that they don't really look at life insurance as anything other than just life insurance. They don't look at the cash value inside of it, nor the type of life insurance it is. So um, it's not really counted. So when you're doing your packages and things like that, you don't have to worry about them saying, wow, you have $500,000 in your <laughs> life insurance policy. We're going to use that as part of our thoughts about how much you can afford to uh, spend on your kids' schooling. So it's really nice in that way that you can take money off the table, both from the tax point as well as from the you know, the college uh, funding point of view, too. That is really significant, too. It can be very useful for folks, especially folks in the higher income brackets um, who, who uh, have significant assets that they're going to look at, and they will take a, a good chunk of it off the, uh, off the chart, so to speak, is, is a good thing. Well, and I've got friends, and I, I bet you do too, Dave, who are what what uh, we call tweeners, where they're not making a tremendous amount of money, they're not poor by any stretch, but it's very difficult because of their income for their children to qualify for a lot of different student loans. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, man, yet again, you've knocked it out of the park, and I want to thank you very much for contributing to uh, this entire discussion of Sending our kids to college without going broke. Very good. And uh, I want to leave you all with just one thought. It's the flexibility of these policies because when you're starting to think about that, you have no idea what your kid's going to be doing in that age group. And, you know, for some folks, they might not even, the kids might not even go to college. They might go to work. They might start their own business. Who knows what our kids are going to be doing by the time they reach 18. And if you're putting money inside of, of the government-funded education. It only gets to be used for education. It doesn't get to use for anything else. You put money inside of this, you can use it for whatever your kids' needs are. You know, they might even get a full package, a full ride. They might be superstars. <laughs> they might be uh, athletic superstars. Who knows what's going to happen to them? And if that's the case, you might just let the money sit in there until they're 25 or 28 when they uh, can help them with a down payment for their house or a first investment property. Who, you know, just the flexibility uh, within this uh, product is great. And, and, I, and I always tell people, you know, when you get involved in these government-oriented things that prescribe exactly how you get to use things, it's a really tough business because no one knows what the future may bring us. So. You know, you just you just underlined one of the principles my mentors pounded into me all the time, Dave, which is the one with the most options wins. Yeah, that, that, isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, it's very simple, but when you think about it, it just is so obviously the case. Man, thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate your time today. No problem. Listeners, thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, David Schaefer.